Thank you for listening and welcome to the Life Radio Show, a proud member of the SJ Network and Realm of the Mist Entertainment. I'm your host, Don Smith. From the movie Snow Babies and author of The Littlest Peanut, I am joined via Zoom by the multi-talented Shannon Wilson. We talk about some real stuff. Then we talk coconuts and sledgehammers. If you enjoy the show, like and follow The Life 1069 on Facebook and Don Smith Comedy on Twitter. Or tune in live on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM. Or you can stream the show live at WWSU1069.org. Overwhelms me. A brutal presence. The Life Radio Show is now brought to you in part by the Nurses Guild of Florida, experts in home health care. Go to thenursesguild.com for more information. This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner. All right. Hey, welcome to the Life Radio Show. I'm your host, Don Smith. We are zooming right along. I just binge-watched the entire uh, series of Burt Kreischer's new show on Netflix called The, uh, the Cabin. And uh, not bad. A couple of laughs, but I, I, it's it's funny that the, the reaction or the uh, interaction between Burt and his wife is very staged and very scripted. <laughs> Other than that, fun show. Anyway, we are uh, we have my guest has actually zoomed in already. I have Shannon Wilson on the show with me tonight. How's it going, Shannon? Good. How are you, Don? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing. It's, it's been an okay day. My knee. I blew my knee out like two weeks ago, and I'm not sure what's going on. It just keeps getting worse. But other than that, I'm doing okay. Well, that's a pretty serious injury. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sitting down for the show, so I don't think it'll affect us tonight. I, I'm okay. Hoping, yeah. I'm I'm hoping that it won't. Uh, mess up my uh, my performance on the interview. I think I'll still do okay. Well, I do like to do an impromptu jig, even if you're on Zoom. So hopefully you can. Oh well, it, it'll have. You to can one. you can still yeah. do that. I have been working on my one-legged jig, so I think <laughs> yeah. I'll be all right. <laughs> Please send a video of that if you can. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's going up on YouTube. <laughs> awesome. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, the, Tell us a little something about Shannon Wilson. Tell us a little something about you. Well, my dad's name is Don, so I always love anybody named Don. Perfect. Um, Yes. Uh, And I grew up, I mean, it's weird to talk about yourself, but I grew up in Texas. So you always, you know, Texans always have to, I mean, I haven't lived there in so long, but you have to give Texas props if you're from there. And uh, lived in Denver and LA for a little while, and I've been out here on the East Coast for about eighteen years, hmm, uh, okay. outside of Philadelphia. Nice. Yeah. And so, just, so uh, being from Texas and now in Philadelphia, uh, if you watch football, I have to ask where your loyalties lie. Well, I mean, I love. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Houston, so we never grew up really liking. The Dallas Cowboys. Okay, that's good. Because Houston and Dallas really have, I don't know if you know this, but they really, you know, have a lot of competition between the two of them. They're such different cities, and Dallas thinks Houston is just, you know, lower than they are. May not be like that anymore, but that was the thing. I think Dallas thinks everybody is, though. Yeah, there's a mentality there. Yeah, that's the impression I get from Dallas as as a city. I mean, I've never been there, but just judging from their football team. Yeah, and the owner and all of that. (laughs) Um, I'm, so, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, so. Of course, oh, I thank you. And I hear, like, where are you from originally? Are you from I, Ohio? I am from Dayton, Ohio, originally. And because uh, you have a little accent. Well, my my family's from Tennessee, so there there are a lot of my my dad uh, crawled up from Tennessee. So. Okay, so that's <laughs> where that comes from. <laughs> that's that's where a bit of that comes from. But I'm, I'm close. I'm real close to. I'm like an hour from Kentucky, so. Yeah, and in Indianapolis, in that area, I used to work at the car shows back in the day, um, in my early 20s, and I was always surprised that people from Indianapolis and around Ohio had a southern accent, Um, Indiana and all that, you know, I was, that surprised me, but they do, I like it. It's it's a Midwestern thing, I guess, that we just, we just kind of absorb some of it from the South, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. I'll have to work on that. (laughs) No, never. (laughs) I I am who I am, I'm not working. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, 
You you had mentioned when we were talking a little bit before the show, as far as acting, you were a bit of a mm-hmm. late bloomer. How how did you get into acting? Yes, I was a late bloomer. So I I think I've always. I mean, I used to pretend like. I mean, I I always liked performing. I always liked singing, and was, I'm I'm actually very shy, but I could be a ham if that makes any sense. So there are people that I was comfortable sense. with. I could I could perform and do things, um, but I always. Thought it'd be interesting to be an an, an actor. I, I loved movies. I mean, I'm just obsessed with with film. And when I was about 13, I started modeling. I'm 5'10". So I was 5'10 at, I mean, my God, at like 12 and a half or 13. It was horrible. I don't want anybody to say it was good. I was, you know, so skinny and just so tall and so lanky. Um, but I was able to start modeling. So that kind of helped me do a little bit of runway in Houston and get just, just be experience that a little bit. And, and um, past some of the shyness, definitely. Yeah. yeah. A little bit. Yes. And then when I was 18, when, you know, that was back in the day when they would just send you off now. I mean, if you send your 18 year old off, I have a, I have a 14 year old daughter. They have to provide for the mother or, or, or guardian. So when I was 18, my senior year, they wanted to, um, I go to Europe. I could have gone to Europe to, to work and to model. Um, and my mom was like, absolutely not. That is not happening. You're going to college, which I, I was so angry with her for the longest time. She was a single mom. I was angry with her for the longest time, but now I totally get that would have been a really bad thing. I think I would have gotten into some trouble. But, yeah. yeah um, that, I could see that happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like no guardian, like in Europe at 18. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I, Left call. I went to college. I went to this really small university, state school, Stephen F. Austin State University in Nacogdoches, Texas. Have you heard of it? I, yeah, I love their food. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have not heard of it. I mean, I don't know why you haven't, but um, yeah. So this is a little tiny school in the East Texas Pines, and I appreciate. I feel like I've you know, it was just in the middle of nowhere, but they have a really good forestry department. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I went to school there, and then when I graduated, I moved to Denver, and I waited tables and did a lot of non-union work. That, that, that market in Denver has a lot of work for print work and industrials because no, nothing's around it. There's no competition. So I was able to do, like, um, industrials for pharmaceutical companies, you know, when they're explaining something or hotel safety videos for corporations. Oh yeah, well, that kind where, of where a lot of actors make decent money, I think. Yeah. Oh, it was really <laughs> good money. It really, you're right. It it was, and um, I did improv there at the Impulse Theater, which I was terrified of and I was horrible at. Improv you, you is. Did, you did do improv though. Yeah, it was it was so hard. My brother's very good at it. He did it for four years at Texas A and M and traveled all over the country. Oh nice. And just had a knack for it, and I felt it was just. I think everybody, I heard you talking about improv on one of your interviews I was listening to and the importance of just getting out of your shell and everyone should do it, right? I, I, I believe so. I, I think as, as I've done it a number of times, I've never done it like continuing with the same troupe or anything, but I, I really, it definitely puts your mind in a whole different place. Mm-hmm. And that's it. There, there's something about improv that you are 100% in the moment if you're not it's not going to come off well. It's not. And also listening. I mean, you really, the, the listening aspect of it, because if you're in your head and you're thinking about what you're going to say next, because that's not really how we have a conversation, right? Right. And most people, I mean, if they're able to have a conversation, they're kind of bouncing off the other person yeah. and that's improv. And I would get in my head, not, it was more because it's just putting pressure on yourself. Like, oh my God, the next thing I'm going to say is going to be stupid. I'm going to ruin it for that person. So you kind of have to trust your, your partner that you're, that you're in the scene with. Yeah. It's um, definitely a lot of playing off of each other. If you, if yeah. you have a good partner in the scene, it, it can really be a lot of fun. It can. And I think that just kind of getting out on, I had never done theater before ever. So to be, in front of people and performing and then you can hear the laughter and all of that. That was, that was really cool. I mean, I wish I would have done theater, but I, I hadn't, but just being on, on stage and hearing that, that gives you confidence. Yeah. Um, but still I wasn't interested in doing any sort of like, um, I, I never thought that I would be doing what I'm doing now 
in terms of acting. I never had a desire to try to be famous or to go out there and, and work my tail off. I really, you know, that, that wasn't anything that interested me. I always got kind of bored with stuff, so I would just try different things. Right. Um, I know that yeah, I mean, and sometimes I feel like if you would just focus on one thing, you really excel at that. But that's just, I'm just really okay at a lot of things. Like, I'm okay at the guitar. I'm okay at the piano. <laughs> that's the, I'm not excelling at anything. <laughs> that that's I, I totally relate to that. <laughs> I have so many half-played instruments laying around my house. Like, oh, yeah, I should get back to that someday. <laughs> and you can get by, right? You can pick it up, and you can, like, act like you know what you're doing, but really... Right, I know, I know, I know enough chords. I can play like two songs and fake it the, rest of the time. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, don't make me go past the song because you're gonna realize I'm a complete BSer. Right, <laughs> <laughs> it's that the improv. You have to BS a little bit. You do, yeah. You have to create your own little world and environment and and everything. You know, it can be completely ridiculous, but you have to commit to it. Oh yeah, which yeah. is life, really. It's ridiculous, it's but we have to commit to it, huh? It's it's all about committing to the bit. I did that once. Uh, I <laughs> I did. It was a couple years ago. I actually completely shaved my beard off, which I don't know if you've seen pictures. I have a beard that's like halfway down my chest. Yeah. I actually completely shaved it off about <gasps> years ago because we were doing it at the comedy club. We were doing a, a tribute to dead comedians. Okay. For, awesome. For Halloween. So I was going to be uh, John Belushi. <laughs> who was doing his impersonation of uh, Joe Cocker. <laughs> so that's what I did. I got up and sang, sang a little help for my friends in the style of John Belushi Joe. being Joe oh. Cocker. That's, and at the end hilarious. of it, at the end of it, I actually, cause I, I figured if I'm going to shave, I'm going to do this. I'm rolling around on the stage like an idiot. I just went ahead and went for it and rolled off the side of the stage and thudded right down on the ground. Were people dying? <laughs> were they were they laughing so hard? Oh yeah, I still have a scar on my arm from it. <laughs> you do. So as you were rolling, you're like, I'm I can't bail out now. I've just yep, got to keep rolling. I'm going for it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to commit to the bit, no matter how dumb it is. If you're going to do it, just do it. <laughs> and that's what makes the people so great at stuff. I mean, if you had stood up or stopped and been like, oh, just kidding, I'm not going to do that, people would have been right. so disappointed. Right. Yeah. I, and, I, and I even, I did eventually get up, but I just ran out of the room still in character screaming about something while the music was still playing. So, <laughs> Joe Cocker. I don't think I've seen that John Belushi skit with oh, him being Joe Cocker. It, it is amazing. I'm writing that down. If, if you've ever seen Joe Cocker, uh, his performance at Woodstock. When he yes, got, I have. You know, my friends, uh, Joe mm -hmm. Cocker is very animated. Mm -hmm. and he sings anyway and makes some of the weirdest faces and he does john, john belushi just did an amazing job mimicking him he was so funny john belushi yeah there there was one of the one of the saturday night live shows or whatever it was called back then not ready for primetime players one, one of those shows where Belushi was doing uh, Joe Cocker on stage, Joe Cocker actually came on stage and did a duet with him <laughs> in character as Joe Cocker. So it was. <laughs> I wonder if Jim, Bel I guess he knew John Belushi knew he was going to do that or did he, I wonder if they surprised him. I, I don't know. I, I don't think he looked, he didn't seem surprised. He just went with it. So I'm assuming they set that up ahead of time. Yeah. To surprise everybody else. But, oh, yeah. that's great. Is Joe Cocker still alive? He is, right? He is. I think Joe Cocker's still alive. We're at that age now where it's like, is that person still alive? It's, it's hard to tell anymore. I mean, we did just Eddie Van Halen. We just oh. Eddie Van Halen. Rest in peace. That bummed me out. It, yeah, yeah. He was he was legendary. But hey, back to you. This is oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I could talk to you about all sorts of that kind of stuff. Um, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, what, so what actually got you started in acting? Um I think, well, okay, so when I, when I, I was in Denver for six years and I've uh, met my now husband and I was already planning on going to LA because I always wanted to experience Los Angeles, just going on auditions, commercial auditions. And so I went out to LA and I did, I got an agent um, and, and went on and booked a Coles commercial, like a little, thank God, because I had no money. Thank God I booked this spot because it, I mean, it was, it was a godsend to, to do this little gig. And, um, so I, I was there for a couple of years, uh, mostly doing print work and runway. 
And I moved out to New Jersey. I got married. I said, I'm not going to move to the East Coast unless I have a ring on my finger. I mean, I was not going to just come and live here in New Jersey without, you know, knowing that I was going to get married. And I basically started a staffing promotional company and I ran that for 14 years. I had employees, I had an office. It was really successful company where we staffed marketing events throughout the country. And I did that and I had two kids and about three years ago, well, I guess it was five years ago. I told my husband, I said, I'm tired of staffing events. I mean, this has been really good for us. It's been a great, I've always wanted to own my own business and, and I have done it and I did it successfully. I said, I think I'm ready and want to go up into New York and audition and see, see what I can do with that. Because I had locally worked in Philadelphia and I was in SAG from that Coles commercial way back when. So I, he, he, he supported it. And about five and a half years ago, I just, I, I had a manager that believed in me and I just started going on auditions with casting directors, like one word, one line. Sometimes there were no lines and they were for different television shows and the same casting directors would call me in repeatedly. So there were times I bombed, I bombed one, the blacklist. I think I've auditioned for the blacklist 10 times. <laughs> I swear I had to be a reporter and it, ha- it was quite a bit of lines and Zoe Rotter with um, Finnegan Jacobs. They are so good to me. So they, they called me in quite a few times and I'm so green. I mean, they called me in and I was so green. I didn't really understand New York market and I forgot all my lines. When I say I forgot them, I mean, I couldn't remember one word out of the script and I had to look at the camera and audition and it was a horrible experience. And, uh, I yeah, just I, got up, huh? I, I've been in, I've been to some really bad film auditions, and when oh it's, my gosh, yeah, when it's I like being in auditions where you get to work off of another actor or at least somebody reading lines, and I yes, some where it's just like speak your lines into the camera. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you just know it's going to go. I mean, and you have it so memorized. And she 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 said, let's just try it again. We can do it again. It's fine. And she's so sweet. And I finally said, I can't do it. I, I can't. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and I, had, I just remember walking out of that room just going, oh, I just blew it. I just, because so many auditions, Don. I mean, five, just recently have I started seeing I, the stuff that I'm getting now. I'm so proud of. Um, but it, didn't, it took a long time. And I, I'm old. I was older. I was in, you know, I was in my late 30s, early 40s when I started. And um, but, but if you put your mind to it, you can do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I try to keep most of my stuff in, the, like, the low-budget end of, like, the really, really micro-budget just because it's, to me, it's a heck of a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah. With with the stuff that you're doing, your, your films, you mean? Yeah, because you, you get, I I don't know, I think there's there's a lot more freedom in that for me. Yeah. I, I, I network, I mean, I have a network audition I have to take tonight for a show for tomorrow. And I've, I just haven't booked, I, I booked elementary and that was awesome because I got to work with Johnny Lee Miller and um, that was a fun little role. And I, that's, I, I would get little things and it would kind of be like, oh, okay, this is validating what I'm doing. And I felt like I was good. I felt like I could do it. And the same people would call me back, which was so nice of them. You just need a few people to believe in you. Oh, Anybody yeah. that's trying to get into acting in New York, I mean, just t- I took classes at different places. They call them pay to play, but I mean, you go in front of the casting director and you take classes with them yeah. and you learn what they're looking for and you just really kind of have to pound the pavement. And I think if you pound it long enough and you do, um, and you go in there prepared that you'll eventually start booking work. Oh yeah. Yeah. It can just take a really long time. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> I can I mean, I, I'm, I'm a late starter as well. I, I, uh, I like years ago in my early tw- or my mid twenties, I did like one film uh-huh. and that was it until like 2015. And I've like added, I don't even remember like 18 something, 18 or so since then. That's <laughs> amazing. But, but again, I, I, I like to keep with the, the, the low micro budget stuff. That way you don't have a director get mad when you add lib. Yeah, it depends on the person writing it. I mean, yeah. I, I could see writers, obviously, they really care about their work. And, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on you, too, when you feel like you have to know all the lines. 
especially in an audition when you're nervous. I mean, I was so nervous in so many of my auditions that I just would have to do deep breathing. I mean, I, I would, you put so much pressure on yourself because you think, oh, if I don't land this or if I don't get this, because my agency did, I did have an agency. My manager did it, but my agency, uh, I booked elementary. Then the woman who owned the agency passed away hmm. and she was so sweet. And about a few months later, I get this just email from Actors Access where you can get the breakdowns and you have a little profile. And, it, and they said, uh, this particular agency just dropped you. They didn't call me. They didn't call my manager. They just, yeah, they just dropped me. I was like, oh my God. But that's kind of cool too, because you hear stories about how somebody drops someone and then they start booking. And that's kind of what happened. <laughs> well, they're very, very fortunate then. <laughs> yeah, because I still have my manager and I'm like, well, now I don't have to pay an additional 20% to an agent. Nice. They, they actually saved me money. Yeah, that was very thoughtful. <laughs> it was. <laughs> um, so since that time, it's, you know, it's, it's been a good, and I'm at QVC sometimes. I model there at QVC. So I think you just have to kind of do stuff that makes you happy and have a creative outlet. And, um, I mean, if I could bartend, I'd probably go back to doing that once a week. I enjoyed that too. Just, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's, there are so many, I think having a creative outlet that you enjoy is, is a, an extremely important thing. And I know too many people don't have that. Yeah, and, and I think it's hard now. Now with thing with so many things shut down. I mean, I know a lot of comedians that uh, there are very few stages they can get on right now, and it's it's really messing them up mentally. I mean, my uncle's a musician and has been. He used to play with Eric Burton and the Animals. My uncle's a bassist, Terry Wilson, and he's only played music since 1962. <laughs> you know, he and his wife. Teresa and they're just it's killing them that they can't they're LA musicians and they can't go perform well yeah it's 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 ruining people financially and emotionally and yeah just really taking its toll and even if you're home it's not like you can just sit there and be creative I mean I have kids people have kids you can't you, you don't have alone time right it's really hard to just like go into a room, especially if you have younger kids or you know you just can't leave it, it, it's just it's a hard situation so I really feel for creative people and they shut down our production. Um, one of the jobs I'm working on, they shut it down. We shot one day, shut it down. Um, and I just thought about all the background people, the extras, everyone that was a part of that. And they're going to start shooting it again next month, Yeah. but they can't have the same. There's, there's people that do background work full time. I mean, that's what they do for a living yeah. and they can't have them on set like they could before. So right. I don't know. Well, well yeah, the, the, the one I, I'm, I'm back on set now and the one we're working on, we actually started, I think we got one weekend of filming before COVID shut everything mm -hmm. down back in March and we're, we're finally back on set again, but I mean, everybody looks different. <laughs> we, we've had some people that were able to commit the time when we first started that aren't able to commit the time now. So we've lost some of our principal actors. We've had to recast. Oh. So it's like, wow. whatever we filmed before we got shut down, we'll just, we'll scrap it and we'll start over. Start from square one. Yeah. Which, which I mean, it's, it's terrible because that's money spent on the stuff we did initially, but yeah, you know, you got, you got to keep moving forward with it. And that's, that's right. That's one thing I love about indie film is you just, you have to have that attitude that no matter what gets in our way, we're going to keep moving forward. Keep on trucking. Yeah. Cause if, if you don't, uh, it, one little thing can go wrong and shut down a whole film. <laughs> yeah. Especially these days. That's why a lot of indie films, some that I w was working on, they're not going back quite yet because it's so expensive to go back. Yeah. So we're shooting little tiny scenes, but they are putting, you know, a couple of them on the back burner because it's just, they just want to make sure they can, they can fit in their budget. But I, I think it'll all, you know, people need content. People need to watch produ productions and, and actors and musicians and career, you know, that they all want to go back to work. So yeah. we'll do what we need to do to stay safe. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find a way. Yeah, like I said, we're back on set, but we actually, we have an on-set nurse now. Mm -hmm. And everybody goes through the, the, all the checks and everything when we first get there, make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to do with social distancing and all the yep. precautions. So, yeah, we'll get there. You will. We will. Yeah. We're yep. in it together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, speak, speaking of, of things that are, uh, that are, uh, uh, 
somewhat depressing. Uh, uh, you can talk about Snow Babies a little bit. Yeah, so I understand you saw it. Um, that was an indie film. And it was very well made, very, very well put together, very well written. Thank you so much. Yeah, the writer's Mike Walsh. He's a Philly dude. And the director's Bridget Smith, and she's from South Philly. And she's amazing. She's just I mean, you you saw in this, well, I'll just say what, what the film's about. It's about addiction and its effects on a middle-class suburban town. So um, I play the mother of a 16-year-old heroin addict. And um, and the lead is played by, my daughter, the, the, the lead is played by Katie Kelly, who's un, unbelievable. She's a phenomenal actress. She's from Texas. And I have no, I've had, actually had people call me to t- yell at me for how naive I was as a mother. Yeah. <laughs> and then have to remind them that it was a film and that was a character. <laughs> right. And well, that, that's, a, that's a compliment to an actor that they, that you played that part so well. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I did take that as a compliment. But at first you're kind of like, I mean, my ma- I have a manager down in Charlotte, Luann, she called me. She's like, she was trying to talk to you and you weren't hearing her. <laughs> and um, I said, I know, but that's, unfortunately for the film, I mean, as intense as that was, Don, and, and you saw it, and it's, it's, it is, it's very sad. Yeah. None of that was just something from Mike's head. That, Mike and Bridget researched and spoke to teenage, teenage addicts, yeah. you know, recovering addicts, teenagers in rehab and took those stories that they said they were like my mom had no idea I completely hid it from her or I would hide my heroin bags in my backpack or my athletic bag which is shows in the movie so everything in that movie was from a story that we were told and um and even some of the there's one scene where a couple of the families um, wanted to support the film that they came on set and were featured extras and they buried their own children. Wow. Um, one was a 21 year old Marine and he had injuries and, you know, got on Oxy and then he died of heroin. I mean, this handsome 21 year old. And so it's, we had families on the set that, that were there to support us um, that had buried their own children. That's how much, they want to help other people yeah. by getting the story out. Yeah. And that's, that, that's the thing. That's, that is that addiction, well, addiction in general, but especially that one is one that just, it seems to know, no, uh, demographic. No dem- yeah. No demographic gender. age range. Just it's, and it, it's so much of it starts with pain pills that are necessary, but it's like, there's, there doesn't seem to be a lot of warning. No, not things are capable of. I mean, they say the statistic is 80% of people who use heroin for the first time, you know, who use heroin first misused prescription opioids, 80%. Yeah. And, um, and I had no idea that it was that prevalent in the suburbs. I I just, and there's a, until I started working on snow babies, which, um, then people would tell you stories like, oh yeah, my good friend's daughter was a field hockey. This was one field hockey uh, star. She was set to go to Notre Dame and she got an injury and started taking um, oxycodone. And then she got addicted to heroin and her mother had to go fetch her from Kensington Avenue, which is where Snow Babies takes place, um, 17 years old. And then she OD'd a year later. This was, a, this was just this brilliant, beautiful girl. Yeah. And the next year she's on Kensington Avenue. Um, on heroin. So it's, it seems so far-fetched and it may seem that way to anybody that watches Snow Babies and it's S-N-O Babies. Right. Um, you can get it on Fandango now and um, Amazon and Apple TV. It, as far-fetched as it may seem or like, oh, this is just so Hollywood. It's not. That's the thing. No, no that, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I, the town I grew up in, I mean, I grew, I grew up in Ohio's small, ha- yeah. small town, Ohio, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, when I was growing up, because I'm old, there wasn't a lot of heroin issue, but there was definitely a drug issue in my high school. And we had a graduating class of like 92 people. Wow. And small. even there, and I've, I've lost just in recent years, I've lost, I've lost friends to addiction. I've lost friends to heroin. Uh, I'm sorry. I, being in, in comedy, I have a lot of, a lot of close friends who are in recovery. So yeah, I mean, it's, 
it does not seem that far fetched at all to me. Yeah, unfortunately, you've experienced that. But we'll do good. And um, we joined with the Amy Winehouse Foundation and the Global Recovery Initiatives Foundation. And so a portion of the profits from Snow Babies are going to the Global Recovery um, Initiatives Foundation. And then also we have some great musicians. Nikki Six from Motley Crue nice. uh, was on board because of his previous heroin addiction. And Alan Kovac was the guy. So we made the indie film. We didn't know where it was going to go. We thought maybe it would just release in some small festivals and Alan Kovac, who is a producer and has been around in the music industry for decades and produced the dirt, which was on Netflix about Motley Crue. Mm -hmm. um, he, his company, better noise, better noise uh, films is, is who bought snow babies. So we just had a lot of support from them and he, and him working with so many musicians. Oh my gosh. He's seen yeah. so many, you know, drug problems. Oh yeah. The, yeah. The music industry. Is, yeah. Yes. Closely related. Unfortunately, unfortunately, comedy and a lot of entertainment is just. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad that you were you saw it. I hope people watch it. I hope that they um, show it to their kids. I showed it to my 14 year old teenager. I mean, I forwarded some parts. Some parts were even hard for me to watch. Yeah, there were um, there were definitely difficult parts of that to watch. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, but hopefully, it helps and. I'm really proud of it. I'm proud of the way. I, yeah, the, Joe Hennigan was the uh, the the cinematographer, and he just has such a great eye. So it was just a small little group of us that we didn't expect it to go. We did expect, you know, you never expect it. You just hope. Right. Um, and it was just really special, and that was my first experience on a feature film, and that I'm just so grateful that they they gave me that opportunity. Yeah, because I, I will say when we were setting the interview up and you said Snow Babies, until I watched the trailer, that was not at all what I was expecting. Uh, yeah, I thought it was like a little Christmas movie or a Winter <laughs> Wonderland. I thought the same thing until I got the script for the audition and I go, oh, okay, this is not. <laughs> yeah, it almost it sounds like an animated thing, you know? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> but, totally yeah. opposite. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, yeah, definitely not that. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, I, I did watch the, uh, I, I watched the trailer first that way. I didn't, I didn't start the movie and think, Oh wow. No, <laughs> I, I did watch the trailer first. So I wasn't completely surprised other than by the trailer. But. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you watched it and thank you. And we're, you know, we'll see, we're, I'm working with the same crew again on another movie finding Christmas. So they're good enough to um, have me in their next film they're just really uh, you know i love philly people they're just really loyal yeah well that's that's one of the great things when, when you start to get involved with with a crew and a, a, a director and a writer and a, a group that works well together you'll you'll get used a lot by the same group because the, the one i'm filming right now this is i think i think this is movie number seven with this crew yeah, see, they um, like you, know, you. When, when you. When you get in, when you get in with them, and the, and they trust you, and you're good, you show up, you do what you need to do. They're going, they're going to be happy, and they're going to keep using you. Yeah, they'll, they know they can trust you. Yeah, and that yeah, you, especially with independent film. I mean, you get you get some people flake from time to time, and just mm -hmm. it it makes it difficult when you have a location, you have everything set up, you're ready to go, and all of a sudden a principal actor didn't show up because they overslept. <sighs> Could you imagine? I mean, that would just... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand that work ethic. That's why I stopped staffing events for so... I mean, I did that for so long and I had to make sure people got to where they needed to be and I was so over being in charge of other people yeah. and them doing things like that that that's why I said, okay, all right, I'll just be well worried about me and yeah. where I need to be and my family. <laughs> I'm not going to worry about anybody else. Yeah, that's the best you can do. <laughs> All right. I think, exactly. I think we're going to take a short break. Uh, when we come back, I'm, I'm going to have a few more things I want to ask you about from your bio. And uh, okay. then we're going to hit some news stories if, you, if you're willing to stick around for some of that. Yeah, I'd love to. All right. Well, we'll be back here shortly on the Life Radio Show with Shannon Wilson. Uh, don't go anywhere. Uh, so, so I have people, you know, they say, hey, how do I find uh, my happy place? Well, the thing you gotta consider is that your happy place is determined by where you're at, and or if that's what they would tell you. But if you think about 
your brain, you know, it collects all the information around you and then it puts it in your brain and starts thinking about stuff. And, and that determines where, you know, if you're in your happy place. And so if like your happy place is like Hawaii or something and you go, you get there in Hawaii and then you find out that, you know, the weather's not as good as it was, you know, you thought it'd be. And, you know, maybe the room service isn't all that good. And, so you think, well, I'm in my happy place, but then your happy place isn't all that good. Well, then it's not really your happy place. So what you do is you just determine that, well, my brain is just collecting information and determining my happy place based on where I'm at. Well, if you just, just decide that you, you're a place, I mean, you're just, technically, you're just a place that can just, you know, get up and walk around and stuff. So you just decide to, you know, your happy place is anywhere you're going, well, then your happy place is wherever you are. Even if you're in Hawaii or living in a dumpster, as long as your happy place is you, you're always in your happy place. So, be your own happy place. I think that was it. That's all I got. That's all I got to say about that. Okay, bye. of the sun cannot be counted on the rainbows are mostly up to you life sure has a funny way of twisting up a path that's straight of getting you high before you fall it lets you think that you figured it out and just when you've released your doubt it reminds you that you're small that's why you gotta keep making your own rainbow Cause it's never gonna rain when you want it to And the refraction of the sun Cannot be counted on The rainbows are mostly up to you On a cloudy day And all the hope seems so far away Put a rainbow in your smile And just keep on making your own rainbows Cause it's never gonna rain quite when you want it to And the refraction of the sun Cannot be counted on the rainbows are always up to you The rainbows are always up to you Howdy, it's Matt Gwen here Popping in to let you know about the adventures of the albino rhino. It's a show, uh, Frank the Giraffe here, my ho host, James Godwin, and myself put on for you guys twice a week. Uh, every Wednesday, we talk to a comedian and 
every Friday. We call it Freaky Friday. The show itself is not safe for work, and that freak is definitely a different word. I just don't know what podcast you're going to be listening to this promo on. And I don't want to, uh, you know, start screaming explicatives while you're sitting in your office. If you're lucky enough to have been able to go back to the work that you did before inside of an office or whatever, you know, but we go on an adventure twice a week and it's a good time because we get to sit down and talk to some really cool people. Uh, And I enjoy it because, you know, I'm just curious little albino who uh, likes to get to know folks, you know? You can find us a couple ways. Actually, multiple ways, really. Man, there's a lot of different ways to find us. You can find us through our central hub, which is www.albinorhino.me. It's the website find me on. And then, you know, the podcast, you can find the videos on YouTube. Search for Adventures of the Albino Rhino. Also linkable from our website. And you can also find us through Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Radio Public, and Spotify. That's right. We're on the same place Joe Rogan is. Granted, we're not we're not the Joe Rogan experience, but you know what I mean? We're there. We're there. So give us a listen. Promise you won't be promise you won't be dissatisfied. And enjoy your day. The following is an announcement from the Nurses Guild of Florida. Home health aides or nurses invited in your home is an important issue family-wide. Where you get your private duty service is of critical importance. Did you know hiring a friend of a friend or even a recommendation from your church puts you and your family at risk for workers' compensation? A back injury will cost sixty dollars to $100,000 and a slip and fall up to three times that amount. Do you know if the caregiver in your home has a history of abuse, neglect, or theft? Do they have a history of drug abuse or have an addiction? The Nurses Guild conducts full Level 2 criminal background checks. Is the labor law particular to home care being obeyed, or are you unknowingly setting up your estate for claims of unpaid time and a half? Why not get your private duty from a five-star Medicare home health agency, the experts at home care? You get properly trained and supervised personnel, workman's compensation coverage, criminal background checks, proper adherence to applicable labor law, all to shield you from lawsuits. All of our home health aides and nurses are fully screened, supervised, and COVID tested. Here at the Nurses Guild, we have nurses from every specialty. No matter what your diagnosis, we have the right caregiver for you. Call the Nurses Guild today to arrange your home health visit at 954-596-9806 for Broward County and 561-826-8937 for Palm Beach County. Remember, health care put off is health care too late. Stay safe during the pandemic. Wear a mask and insist those around you wear a mask. Wash your hands frequently and stay home as much as possible. This house is a f***ing prison on planet bullshit. In the galaxy of this sucks, camel dicks. All right. Hey, welcome back to the Life Radio Show. I'm your host, Don Smith. We are still rolling right along with Shannon Wilson on Zoom with me. Uh, are, are you surviving? Yes. I. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. I'm having I, a great always, time. I always have to check the pulse of my guests as we come back <laughs> break to make sure that they're still on board. <laughs> Did they leave? What happened? I, I've had that. I, I haven't had that happen often. I have had, I, believe it or not, I've had to kick people off before. Oh, why? Yeah. Well, you're not in danger of that. Uh, well, sometimes for profanity, sometimes uh-huh. for I actually, I, I, I won't tell this story on the air, but I, I think I probably have before, but there was somebody that was, I was real close to kicking him off. And then I watched him bomb so bad at a comedy show later on that it, it made up for it. Oh, and I don't think he ever performed comedy again. Oh man. He was just on that path to self-destruction. Probably. Yes, that, that's, that's a powerful bomb on stage when you don't perform again. Oh my God. I mean, Yeah. <laughs> But I, I, must did, be I did want to ask you a couple more questions from your bio. I did mm-hmm. see on there that you were a college radio DJ. Yes, I was. Nice. 90.1. <laughs> KSAU. Because that's I, where I started. Mm-hmm. That's what? That's where you started a college radio DJ? Actually, this still goes out. Once I edit everything, this will still go out over my old college uh, radio station. Oh, that's so cool. I loved it. I, you know, what's funny is my, my, my brother-in-law is from Nacogdoches where I went to college and he's younger than me. He's about six years younger than I am. And 
he's super into music and you know there's not much to do in Akadochus and he remembers my radio show and he um and then some of these guys that lived in my apartment complex were his friends and they were like you married Shanna you're you're you married Shanna Wilson's sister like it was almost like it was during that era with grunge and music and it was such a good time at that time to be a college DJ, I feel, you know, I was, I worked from like t- 10 to midnight and they would call in. It was just such a fun experience. And, um, I really loved it. Yeah. It's, it's different. I, I uh, now I always brought guests in. I know I did more of a talk show just mm-hmm. like I'm doing now. This is, this is basically the same show I did. The same thing. <laughs> if you're good at it, keep doing it. <laughs> right? I wasn't when I started. I <laughs> Nobody really is. I probably uh, wasn't yeah, that good of a DJ. Yeah, my, my first show I ever did on the air, I couldn't remember how to play a song. I was locked out of the studio for 20 minutes into <laughs> my show, 20 minutes That's after stressful. my show started. I had my guests standing out in the lobby with me. And I <gasps> Nobody was in the studio to let me in. <laughs> that is so, I mean, I can't even imagine how stressful that must have been because it was, you, have, you put some pressure on yourself and then the, the radio they're all, it's just dead air you, you can't get back in the studio right terrible that is terrible yeah, it was it was definitely a learning experience and uh, it became a theme for a while my show a running theme that i just was not great <laughs> <laughs> You're like i'm the worst god dj ever and, and um, it became fun eventually eventually when you do something bad long enough it becomes fun and you think that's how you're supposed to do it <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. I remember one time a record skipped, a record skipped, and I was, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, and I tried to, it's just like little things like that that can just send you over. You're, you just want to be perfect, yeah. can't be perfect, especially then. I mean, you really had to do it all yourself. And I remember having to run out to the hall to use the bathroom and almost getting locked out. Thank God there, there was somebody in there. I was banging on the door. So I know how you feel. I mean, you, you leave and then you, you think, oh, my God, I don't have my keys. So luckily somebody let me in. But I, yeah, I, Eventually I gave up on being perfect on the show. I was like, no, this, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> I'm just going to roll with it. <laughs> Do they still have college radio stations? I don't know. That's yeah. a bad question. Well, like, like I said, this, this show will still oh, you be said it. Yeah. at USU at Wright State University. Wow! I've been picking up a lot of listenership lately. I was uh, they send me the numbers from my show, and I was like, "Huh, interesting." <laughs> ah, that's cool. That's see, see, you're getting a little fan base down in the college radio yeah, forum. That, I'm cool with that, you know. I, Absolutely, I a fan base somewhere. And <laughs> <laughs> we'll take fans wherever we can get them. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, the littlest peanut. Hmm. You you are the author of the littlest peanut, which is about uh, children having parents having children in the NICU ward. Yeah, so both of my kids are premature, and for no rhyme or reason, they just happened, and they're not twins, so they're twenty months apart. And when I had my my first was my daughter; she was a thirty four weeker, and I would write little poems in the in the NICU just oh. to kind of help me get by and. I would try to buy a baby book and regular baby books didn't fit to preemies because the measurements weren't right. You know, they're preemies, so they're not matching the first day or just, they didn't ask the questions that we needed. So I was having to cross out things out of a regular baby book. Um, And so I I didn't think about, I put the poems aside, didn't think about it. And then I had my son and he was born at 30 weeks. And the NICU nurses were like, I cannot believe you're back here so soon. I said, I can't, I, I can't believe it either, but my husband's getting a vasectomy tomorrow. So this is not <laughs> happening. And, <laughs> and so then I came up with the littlest peanut and my brother-in-law um, illustrated it. I can't draw. So I explained to him what I had in my head and he drew He's such an amazing artist. He did exactly what I had in my head and, and, and did the illustrations. And so I wrote that, I guess, five years ago. And it's a baby book for parents that have preemies in the NICU. And Nice. We sell quite a. I sell quite a bit of them every month and donate a lot of the books because we have to. You know, I have to pay to have them reprinted. We're on the fourth right. edition. Um, nice. And yeah, and I. You just hear such amazing stories from parents having preemies. I mean, really early ones too. 
Uh, yeah, and then so and the not. the NICU is a is a difficult place to be in anyway. Yeah, do you ever experienced having to go to the NICU? I I used to work at a local hospital. I still work. I'm a maintenance person. I I, I do HVAC, electrical, plumbing, uh -huh. all that stuff. I I still work in medical facilities, but I worked in a hospital, and we had uh, one of the bigger maternity wards in mm. the. And yeah, I dreaded being called over to the NICU because it was always it was it was often a very heartbreaking place to walk into. Yeah, it is. But the NICU nurses are. I mean, they're angels. They really, I mean, anybody that does that and they're just, they're so good and they could make me laugh. There were certain nurses that were hilarious and I find that you have to find humor in anything. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, they, they turned a horrible, it could be so stressful experience, but my kids are, are they're good. And luckily they um, didn't have a lot of complications, but um, that's good. You know? Yeah. So that's the littlest peanut. So yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, yeah, well, you have to promote everything. <laughs> <laughs> you got to make sure you get it all out there, and th and that's that's something that's important to get out there. Yeah, I hope it helps people, and um, I just like hearing their stories. And wh however, we can give more books back to the NICU, especially down around Christmas time. Right. Uh, as little gifts, we try to do that or put it in their gift bags. Well, that's nice. Yeah. All right. Well, we're we're going to move on to some news stories because okay. we, we we got to have something goofy going on now. We've ready. We, we've I'm talked ready. about the serious stuff, so let's. Yeah, we have. <laughs> All right. Uh, an Indian martial artist showed off his strength and precision when he donned a blindfold and smashed fifty coconuts that were arranged <laughs> around the body of another man. A video shared by Guinness World Records shows the man wearing a blindfold and smashing the coconuts without hitting the other man with his sledgehammer. Uh, the man smashed 50 coconuts in a one-minute time period. Uh, the man, Rakesh B., the men, Rakesh B. and Prabhakar Reddy P., which just sounds like Indian rappers, doesn't it? Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, we're awarded the Guinness record for most coconuts smashed around a person blindfolded in one yeah. minute. They have such specific Guinness records these days. I mean, were there other people that they were competing against? I don't understand. You just, I guess you just come up with your own thing and then it, right. it just becomes. Yeah, and then somebody has to beat it and you have to get your record back for. Yeah, most coconuts smashed around a person blindfolded in one minute. I mean, how close were these coconuts? I mean, there was a lot of shrapnel going on. Oh, yeah, because they're, they're stacked all around him. There's, there's, there's actually, this is on uh, UPI.com is the, you know, the fun news, fun news source I, source I look through for weird news. And that's, uh, yeah, they're really close to this guy. And uh, it's, <laughs> including, because he he's laying there like he's making a coconut angel. Oh, he's like, yeah, got his arms out? He's got his arms out. He's got his legs spread. It's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous I mean, position to be in. I mean, yeah. He, he was not looking out for his own coconuts. It no, like. no. It, 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 they, were, they were very vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, luckily he didn't smash the wrong ones, huh? Right. I'm going to write down smashing coconuts might be a good uh, episode title. <laughs> I mean, we have the smashing pumpkins, but coconuts is so much right. better. Right. This is smashing coconuts. Just as long as you don't smash the kiwi, I guess. Is yeah, don't, don't, yeah. <laughs> don't smash the banana and the kiwi. Right, right. The kiwis. Right. <laughs> that would definitely be bad news. <laughs> that's awesome. 50 coconuts in one minute. In one minute. That, that's, that's moving too, because sledgehammers aren't light. And it's a full sized, like three foot sledgehammer. So, yeah, because yeah, you have to get it back up above your shoulder and put it back down again. So, yeah, and it, here, here's an, another fun Guinness record. Sometimes the Guinness records are really fun news stories. An Idaho college student may have set a Guinness World Record when he traversed 100 meters of a slip and slide in 10.4 <laughs> seconds. Uh, Jeff Roper, a mechanical engineering major at Brigham Young University in Idaho, uh, used dirt trenches, painter's tarps, and a garden hose to create the long slip and slide course near his grandparents' home south of Amman. I guess that's how you pronounce that. A-M-M-O-N. That's Amman, right? A-M-M-O-N-N? Nope, yeah, um, so yeah, that's, anyway. <laughs> he traversed, meaning he was going up it? 
traversed. Uh, that's what it said. He's tra he traversed. I don't see how you go up it. And yeah, but the video, he's sliding down it. So yeah, they, they oh, sliding down. Yeah, they, uh, I, I don't know. That might maybe an odd word choice for that one. Yeah. I'm trying to think traverse. If you go up and like you, how you cut across back and forth and you traverse a mountain. Um, that, I, don't, I, don't was, know. I don't know. I have to look into that, but 32 miles per hour was his top sleep, <gasps> top speed sliding across this thing. Holy crap. 32 miles an hour. So fast. That's booking with, with nothing but skin on a wet tarp. I was going to say, was he naked or did he have just the he most massive wedgie? He had shorts on. So yeah, I'd say by the time he got there, there wasn't much left of him. I mean, <laughs> his coconuts were in disarray. <laughs> right, right. He spilled his kiwis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. If the wedgie had to been up to his ears. Yeah, that would have been it. But yeah, by, by the time he got done, he was wearing his boxers as a face mask. Yes. <laughs> exactly. COVID safe. Always. <laughs> oh, let's let's see what else kind of silliness we got. We'll go over to Huffington Post. A California home is now the hottest thing in Halloween decorating. Uh, Carmen and Travis Long's fake house fire in their Pirates of the Caribbean holiday display is so realistic that people keep calling nine one one. ABC World News now reported uh, firefighters who responded to the uh, Riverside residents were so impressed with the faux blaze that they high five Travis Long and told him great job. According to Carmen Long, <laughs> now hundreds visit the house nightly uh, for the fun of it. L.A. affiliate uh, KABC noted the family has taken to alerting the authorities when they turn on the fire effect. <laughs> I mean, what is it real fire? Are they using pyrotechnics? No, it's. I think it's just. It's just an effect. It's just like a. Uh, and it looks so real. It just looks so real. I. I guess. I guess California isn't the place to do that this year. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a really bad choice of state to have <laughs> fires. I mean, everyone's got PTSD from the fires that are happening every five minutes. It, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's to me. That's like coughing in a coughing in a crowded grocery store with no mask on right now it's it's the same effect people yeah, are, fires aren't funny no no to californians as they shouldn't no. be well yeah <laughs> i like the fire guy gave him a high five it was like that's amazing yeah i don't know maybe he was trying to smack him in the forehead and the guy just blocked with his hand and the wife said it was a high five yeah or he's just one of those people that has his own reality that's yeah, there are a lot there are so many of those people nowadays. I mean, they <laughs> are unbelievable to me. Like sometimes I'm envious of how their reality is and what it really is like. I'm like, God, I wish I was like that sometimes. It would I, there are times I think it would be kinda nice to be that out of, <laughs> out touch, of touch with reality. I know. <laughs> I'm I'm so in touch with things that it's exhausting. I mean, if I could just yeah. not be so hyper focused and sensitive to every thing i think that would be refreshing i'm you know kind of jealous of that yeah i i i want to get there i want to i want to be out of touch <laughs> me too that's a new that's a new goal for me <laughs> don we'll be out of touch together we'll just Perfect. let's just get clueless yeah I, i'm i'm down for that i'm down for some clueless <laughs> <laughs> me too uh speaking of clueless we'll do one more story uh this is why you don't drink and dry a college student in the UK needed to be rescued by her local fire brigade after getting her legs stuck inside a clothes dryer she shares <laughs> with her roommates. Uh, Rosie Cole, 21 years old, says she and her friends were drinking wine and tequila, which is never... <laughs> wine, and that was just what they had left, and they had no money to buy new stuff. That would be, yeah, they had nothing to mix the tequila mm -hmm. with, so they said, just pour some wine in it. See mm -hmm. what that's. Uh, yeah, they were drinking wine and tequila on a Tuesday night. <laughs> ah, that's what I'm drinking right now. Wine and tequila? Yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. I just have, I have vodka and cranberry. Yeah, and I'm definitely not doing that, but maybe I will afterwards. Okay, so, so that was... So. Yeah, they were drinking wine and tequila on Tuesday night when she was challenged to fit inside their shared appliance. Uh, I was with my other housemates, and one of them dared me to get in, said Cole, a student of the University of Hull in East Yorkshire, England. Uh, me, thinking there was no chance I'd actually fit, decided to try it. And to my surprise, it seemed easier than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> to my surprise. To my surprise. <laughs> well and behold. Yeah, that is, uh, 
And they had to call the fire brigade in. I mean, I wonder if there's something, there was maybe some additional stuff happening besides just the wine and tequila. It's a good possibility. It's a good possibility. (laughs) But again, they're young. They're young. So the wine and tequila business might might have been enough. That is hilarious. I bet. I mean, she's. I love how she didn't have faith in herself, and then she's like, "Whoa, yeah, I'm smaller is- than I thought I was." <laughs> yep, I am so skinny. I and am so thin. <laughs> uh, yeah, says, uh, she climbed in legs first, and even managed to shimmy her hips in before she realized she wasn't able to uncross her legs inside the dryer. <laughs> <laughs> her roommates were unable to help free her hindquarters from the tiny warm prison. <laughs> they should have turned it on. I'd have had to, because you, you can just tape over that safety button and you, you could have turned it on. You could have turned, I bet you her roommate, I mean, I know for myself, I would have been laughing so hard. I would have probably peed my pants. I mean, the, the image of that happening when you're drunk oh, and yeah. your roommate, I, I'm just picturing my college roommate doing us doing something like that. I mean, and just how ridiculous and how funny they were probably laughing so hard. They couldn't even help her. Yeah. Uh, and that's, yeah, they, they were, I'm sure they were trying to pull her out and their, their hearts were in the right place, but yeah, they just, they couldn't stop laughing. Oh yeah. That's exactly. Oh, that's fine. That's my favorite one. That was the best one. And, and the way I grew up, we would have found a way to turn that dryer on. <laughs> you were like, Oh, now you're in a vulnerable, vulnerable position. Exactly. Exactly. Cause what are friends for, but to mess with you further when you're in a vulnerable position? Well, that's it. Not to put a gender label on it, but that's such a guy thing. You guys are so horrible to each other. It sometimes is. like girls don't think that way, but you guys would be like, Oh my God, See, Chris when, is in the dryer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I was, when I was in high school, I didn't really drink or do anything like that, but I still went to all the parties cause all my friends did. Uh-huh. I would stay, of course, I was usually the last one up because I was sober and I messed with some people. We, we had one guy, he was, he was kind of a jerk anyway, but he, he passed out on a bar stool in my brother's apartment with Ooh. his head on the bar and he still had a beer in his hand. So we took duct tape and we taped the beer to his hand and then we taped his, we taped his feet to the bottom rung of the bar stool. Oh God. And then we started making a bunch of noise waiting for him to wake up. And he woke up and he tried like three times to set this beer can down that was taped to his hand. <laughs> Finally got frustrated. He started yelling and cussing at us and tried to hop off the bar stool, which of course his feet couldn't reach the floor. <laughs> and then he just landed like so it was down. Down face first on the floor. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh, y'all were, again, y'all were probably laughing so hard, right? Oh, I, you remember I, it like it was yesterday. <laughs> I mean, you, if you would have had a phone, you would probably would have, well, no, you, you would have been smart enough. You don't want, you know, you don't want proof of what you did. Oh no, that definitely, if we, if we had phones and could take video like we have now, that definitely would have been saved. You know what I was thinking? I was telling my, I was thinking the other day about how these kids take videos of stuff and post it, I said, that would have been like us having a night like that or just partying as teenagers, taking pictures with our disposable cameras, developing the pictures, and then laying them out on the kitchen counter Yeah, yeah. for our parents, parents to see the next morning. Exactly what you were doing. Yeah. I mean, why do you, that, that, we would have never thought of doing that because it's ridiculous, but that's what these kids do when they video it and then post it. That's yeah. That's true. That's that's not very smart. <laughs> no, I mean, would we have? We, yeah, be like us developing the pictures and being like, in case you guys wanted to know what I did last night, here you go. And yeah. then you know, having pictures out with all of the proof for them to see. Of course, we wouldn't have done that. Yeah, that's true. I I, I would like to think we were smarter than that, but then again, I duct taped a beer can to somebody's hand. <laughs> you don't want to put yourself on a, a level. So, yeah, above I don't. Else. I don't know that I would have been smart enough (laughs) yes yes i hear you i mean nowadays yes but back then no i was an idiot (laughs) i i hope that i've grown some some it sounds like you have not that much though i I hope there's a little bit of child childish in me otherwise i couldn't do what i'm doing here (laughs) yeah but running a comedy club and everything else (laughs) right 
Well, I'm going to give you a couple minutes right now. If you have any social media, website, anything that you want to throw out there and promote again, of course, uh, be sure to check out The Littlest Peanut and Snow Babies. Uh, one's a book, one's a movie. Don't get them confused. It'd be <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, they are. You have, I'm going to give you a couple minutes right now. All right. Thank you. Um, yeah. So The Littlest Peanut is on Amazon. And then Snow Babies, like I said, is SNO. Um, babies and you can get that on Amazon or Fandango now that can download and stream and if you like it please feel free to leave a review um, we always like reading what people's thoughts are after they see the film and I have coming up um, I'm working on Halston we start shooting um, in November and that's gonna be that's a Ryan Murphy production that is he's doing he did nurse he did ratchet American Horror Story and Glee oh, okay. and Halston is about the the 70s icon fashion designer and Ewan McGregor's playing Halston and I'm playing a character called her name's Bobby Mahoney and I my the guy that I'm working with I can't say his name yet because they haven't announced him but he's someone that I have he's been in the films for the last 30 something years he's super iconic so to be working with this gentleman who's the nicest guy ever I'm just like beyond excited Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So um, that, that should be out next year. We're shooting it. We're shooting it now. Awesome. Now, yeah. do, you have, do you have a website? I do. It's Shannon, S-H-A-N-N-A-N, Wilson.com. And my Instagram is Shannon N. Wilson. So if anybody, I mean, I'm not on Instagram that much. I, I should be better at all that stuff, but I, I'm not yeah, that good. I'm not either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really, really not. <laughs> it seems silly to post stuff with you about your, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really into that, but I do like, I do like looking at people's Instagrams. Yeah. Yeah. I'll browse through some every now and then, but I'll, I'll yeah. follow you on there. Yeah. Follow me, please. Don't post, but. <laughs> Shannon with, yeah, yeah, just be a voyeur, um, <laughs> which is, is fine to do. Yeah. So that's my Shannon with an A Wilson and, um, any any support anybody gives me is great. I mean, I'm I'm so grateful for some of this stuff and working with the people that I'm getting to work with and meeting people like you. This podcast thing's fun. Yeah, they they, they can be fun, and I, I appreciate you coming on. It was great talking to you and meeting you as well. It was nice talking to you too. Hopefully, down the road, if there's something else to talk about, I would love to come on. You you've been so sweet, so thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'd be more than happy to have you back on. And hopefully great things are coming out that you want to promote. Thank you. Hopefully so. Um, well, thank you. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show. Like I keep telling you guys, if you're going to keep listening, I'm just going to keep making them. All right. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show podcast. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, if you want to listen live, we are on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM. You can also stream the show live at WWSU1069.org, and we go Facebook Live at the Life Radio Show's Facebook page. If you have suggestions or comments, feel free to email thelife1069 at gmail.com. Overwhelms me. A brutal presence. I was just listening to one of your uh, one of your interviews. I like the hesitation there. One of your uh, <laughs> one of your <laughs> one of your things. <laughs>